Mark 2 says, and again, somebody say again. He entered Capernaum after some days and it was heard. Somebody say heard. It was heard that he was in the house and immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them. Not even near the door. It was packed out like a Taylor Swift concert. All those Swifties. Y'all crazy. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing one sick with palsy who was carried by four men. And when they found or when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, hmm, talk about a breakthrough. When they, when they had broken through, they, they let down the bed on which the one with palsy was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the one sick with the palsy, son, your sins are forgiven you. Verse 10. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. This is Jesus said to the one sick with palsy. He said, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed and went out in the presence of them all so that all were amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Mm. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we thank you today for your goodness and for your mercy. Lord, I pray that today, Lord, that our eyes would be locked in on your face. Lord, I pray that this morning our ears would be in tune with your voice. Lord, and I pray that as this word comes forth, that every distraction, everything that's fighting inside of our mind for our attention, Lord, we just lay those things at your feet this morning and we just lock in our focus on you. Speak to us this morning. Reveal yourself to us today. And may these words fall on hearts and souls who are ready to receive it. And may it become fire in our bones today. It's in these names we pray, in these things that we pray. And the church said, amen. Amen. Whenever you begin a faith journey, the faith journey of Christianity, of being a Christian, there are some theological objectives, if you will, that you have to come into agreement with for you to be in the faith and for your faith to continue to prosper and grow. One of the first things that you've got to realize is you have to embrace the very fact that God is a living God. Amen? He's not a dead God. He's not an idol. You will not find this God in a shrine. You, you will not find him uh, as a statue at the end of your favorite Chinese buffet. But this is a God that is alive. Amen? 
Aren't you thankful this morning that you, that we do not serve a God uh, that is dead or some figurine? But aren't you thankful this morning that God is still moving and acting on your behalf today? I'm thankful he's alive this morning because they put all the other prophets in the grave and they are still there. They put Buddha's ashes in the grave and it's still there. They put Krishna in a grave and he's still there. They put Muhammad in a tomb and his body is still there. But aren't we thankful today that they put Jesus in the grave, but three days later he got up because he's not a dead God. He's a living God. And guess what? If he's not dead, your prayer life should not be dead. If God is not dead, then your worship should not be dead. People ask all the time, why you dance? Why you, why, why you get down on your knees? And why you sing the song again? And why you so loud? Because guess what? If God is not dead, my worship should reflect a God that is alive and full of life today. My my worship is reflecting a God that is alive because if he is still alive, that means that he can still reach down and touch me today. If God is still alive, that means that he can still heal my body this morning. That means that he can still reach out to the children that are lost and call them home. Can anybody just give him some praise today and say, Lord, I thank you that you're still alive and well today. For us as believers, as I said, we've, we've got to believe in order for our faith to grow and be in the faith that God is a God that is alive. And not only do we have to believe that God is alive this morning, we have to know that God is moving. God is a mobile God. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful he's mobile and that he can move around. Because there were some seasons when I felt I couldn't get to him. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You've been in a season when you felt like you were so deep in the mess. It felt like you had weights on your shoulder. And you felt like you could not push through the crowd today. I can't even get out of my bed today. I cannot even get to Jesus today. But aren't you thankful that when you couldn't get to Jesus, Jesus came to you? Aren't you thankful that whenever you could not not get to God. God got to you. Who can testify that if it were not for a moving God, I'd still be stuck today. If it were not for a God that is mobile, Lord, I thank you that you're mobile because he's a God that knows where I am and I can't help but praise the God that's still moving today. From the beginning to the end, he's been moving. In the book of Genesis, the first very scriptures that you read, you'll see that he was moving over the face of the water, moving over the face of the deep. If he's water, he's a moving water. He's living water. If he's the wind, he's the mighty rushing wind because he's still moving. God is a moving God and a living God. And that sets up and helps us realize and explain the ministry of Jesus. Jesus, when he came to earth, his ministry was a mobile ministry. 
We never see him just sitting down or staying in the same place for too long. He was always moving. He was mobile. He, his ministry never had a headquarters or a home office. He, he, he was always on the go because there were people. He knew there was somebody out there that needed him. And he would move from city to city because he wanted every person to know his name. And if Jesus ever walked into a city, you can bet that that city would never be the same again. If he walked into your town, everything would change. You can just bet that if Jesus got into a city, the deaf were about to start hearing again, that the mute were about to start speaking again. You can just believe that, that, that if Jesus ever got into your city, that, that, that demon-possessed people were going to be set free. When Jesus got into a city, everything was going to shift. So when you begin to read our text today, we learn that Jesus was coming to a city. But this was not the first time that he was in this city because the scripture says, and he entered Capernaum again. This means that Capernaum was not a place of just visitation, but Capernaum was becoming a place of habitation. It was a place that he was frequently in, where he was frequently working his miracles, and that is his goal for you and your house today. He doesn't just want to come visit you on a Sunday morning, but he wants to come and stay with you all throughout the week. Amen. He doesn't just want weekend visitation rights, but he doesn't just want you every other weekend or just every here now, but no. He wants you every single day because guess what? You cannot live a life of victory just worshiping on a Sunday. You cannot walk in victory just walking with him on a Sunday. But how many of you know to live a life of victory, you got to walk with him every day of your life? Can anybody testify to that? He, he doesn't just want to come in and touch you, but no, he wants to come in and for you to have this encounter that changes your life forever. He wants to come in and create this bond between the both of you that, that, that every day when, whenever you've not prayed, you've got this feeling, I've got to pray because I cannot make it without Jesus. And Capernaum is turning into a place, not just of visitation, but now a place of habitation. It is crossing the line. He is now crossing the line from a visitor to a dweller. And I know there's some, some of you in the room today, you, you, you are tired of the visiting, but you want him to dwell. And you ask, how do I cross that line? How do I make that shift? You cross that line when you move from preference to presence. You shift in that direction when you stop seeking your preference and start seeking his presence. Because sometimes the only thing that is holding back a move of God is your preference. I'm going to preach this this morning. I said, sometimes the only thing that could be holding a move of God back is your opinion. Huh. Did you know that your opinion can keep you out of a miracle? Whew. Did you know that your preference can keep your church out of a revival? Whew. Do you 
know that what you think about it can hinder what God will do about it. God is asking the church, are you flexible enough in this hour to where you can allow God to come in and do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, and however he wants to do it? If not, you may be preference over presence. presence. See, speaking of preference-driven or presence-driven, those that are presence-driven are also pursuers. I spoke several weeks ago when speaking on the uh, Holy Spirit series, and we call them seekers. They are pursuit-oriented. And so often we get with people, we hear from people that, 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 that feel like they haven't seen him. And so often it's because you are looking for a preference more than you are his presence. I'm, I'm preaching better than you acting today. The presence driven, they are pursuers. I never met a person that was presence driven that was not pursuit oriented. Those that are after his presence every day. Those who are pursuing him every day. See, whenever you are pursuit driven, all of a sudden your spiritual awareness is awakened. You start seeing things that you did not see before. Whenever you hear people talk, you can hear the desperation in them that you did not hear before. In other words, your, your, your awareness is awakened. In other words, he's easy to see when he's all you're looking for. And so often we can't see it because we are looking for our preference more than we are his presence. I'm looking for that kind of music. I'm looking for somebody who, I'm looking for a church with an hour service. I don't want an hour and 15, it's too long. I want an hour. And we miss his presence because we are searching more for our preference. The word says this morning that he heard, that it was heard that he was in the house. King James Version says it was noised. And he was in the house. See, this is just another reason why the church should not be silent in these days that we are living. I said the church should not be silent in these days that we are living in. Secular agendas are being shoved down our throat. And the church is sitting here trying to be cute. This is not the time for the church to be cute. This is the hour for the church to be powerful. And the church, it is deadly right now for the future of the church to remain silent in these days that we are living. This is just another reason why we should not be silent in the church or outside of the church. They heard and they went running. I was telling first service, this is one of the reasons why we celebrate Salvation so openly. And I've been criticized about it. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> criticized for celebrating people getting saved. Don't get me on my soapbox this morning. Some people don't like it. Other pastors don't like it. And we actually started posting about people being saved during COVID. Because we turned one after America shut down in the middle of it. We weren't even one year old yet, y'all. 
Y'all? Like, what in the world is going on? And I got so sick and tired of reading how many people are in the hospital, how many people are dying, how many got the vaccine, who didn't get the vaccine. I was sick and tired of the numbers. And all of a sudden, when one block away, the hospital's full and people are dying, one block away, people start getting saved on a Sunday. And I got so sick and tired about hearing who's dying. With a block away, people are finding their life. So the first Sunday, it was like one person. I mean, the first year, hardly anybody was saved in here. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of chaos, people start getting saved. Why? Because they were looking for Jesus somewhere. And I got so sick and tired about hearing how many were dead and how many were in the hallways and how many were in the ER. And and I got so sick and tired. I said, I'm going to start telling people how many people are getting saved today. Some pastors didn't like it. Well, let me tell you something. Friday, I work on Fridays. And I was here doing my thing. I walked out of the door. I was getting ready to, uh, the, it had been raining the day before, windy. If you ever drive around, you'll probably see me walking around the parking lot. I do it at least two times a day. I'm just walking around, praying, looking, picking up sticks, <laughs> trash. I walk out the door and I look to my left and there's a man walking down on the sidewalk, he's a little, he's between the legacy house and the red house next door, which is not uncommon because there's people that walk these streets all day long. And I'm just minding my business and I'm looking and there was a little bit of debris on the ground from the storm and I was picking it up and I'm looking and I felt like his eyes were on me as he's walking toward me. And I just feel it, I feel him coming and I'm like, here we go. Um, and I'm trying to size him up. I'm trying to, he don't look like he's homeless. He's got on nice clothes. I'm looking and he just, he keeps looking and I'm trying to look away and while size him up and he doesn't look like he's deranged and about to kill me. So feel a little bit better. No matter what church I've been on staff at, anytime there was one of those people knock on the door, they called Chase. Freaks are drawn to me. <laughs> Ain't that right, Sarah? <laughs> Tension. <laughs> oh, Lord. Um, so I'm sitting here, and I'm walking, and he's looking at me just looking at me and looking at me. And I'm like, okay, this, this man, he's got on nice clothes. He's, he's obviously want to have a conversation with me. So I meet him, pass him between the church and the house on the sidewalk. And he walks up to me and he asks me a question. And I thought I heard what he said. But to be sure, I said, I'm sorry, what was that? He said, I heard that I can be saved here. 
they heard he was in the house. He said, I heard I can be saved here. And he pointed this direction to the church. And I looked at him and I said, well, yes, you can. I said, but the good thing about the God that we serve is you do not have to wait till Sunday morning. I said, but his presence is right here on the side of Avenue A. And I prayed the prayer that I pray on Sunday morning with him. And the man got saved right here next to the new flagpole. I wish I had somebody who could celebrate with me. That's why you don't be quiet when God is doing something in your house. It was hard. I turned around and he's passing the Valvoline store and his hands are doing this in the air and I just began to shout my way back to the house. That is why you do not close your mouth when God is moving, but you stand up and say, look what the Lord is doing. Look what the Lord has done. You've been made to overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony because when you are testifying, you are prophesying to them. If he healed me, he can heal you. If he can save Joe on side of the street, he can save you right here in the sanctuary this morning. Don't be talking about our post. I'm going to do it more than ever. And all of you should share it. Because it tells people. People are looking for Jesus. They are looking for Jesus. Those people looking for their identity and don't know if they're a male or female, they're actually looking for Jesus. They're not looking for what they do or do not have. They're looking for Jesus. They're crying out. They're looking for Jesus. And somehow some random man heard hundreds of people are being saved here and I can be saved here today. It was heard. They, they, they heard Jesus was in the house. It says they heard that Jesus was in the house. And immediately the house became full. Jesus is the best growth plan ever. You want your house, your personal house to grow? Get Jesus in your house. I'm not talking about in numbers. I'm talking about spiritually. Get Jesus in your house. Immediately. I like the, I like the word immediately because it gives me hope that, 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 that even, even when I feel like I've been in this thing a while, when I feel like, is it ever going to change? Immediately God says, in his word, it can shift something. And immediately they came because they heard Jesus was there. They heard him. But I want you to take note because this was not a church house. This was somebody's house. <laughs> you not only need Jesus in your church, you need Jesus in your house. I said, you not only need Jesus in your church, you need Jesus in your house. Anybody got a teenager? You need Jesus in your house. Amen? Why? Because the devil is after them. He is after their identity. He is to get them in a place where they don't even know who they are. Get Jesus in your house. That means whatever you're praying for your church, you should also be praying for your house. 
You want revival for your church? Pray for revival in your house. You want salvation to come to your church? Pray for salvation in your house. That also means if you get mad about something that happened in the church, you ought to get mad if it happens in your house. I don't like it over there. They're all a bunch of liars. You got liars in your house. If you're one of those people that say, I just can't go to church because they're all hypocrites in the church, you better get out of your house because there's hypocrites in your house too. You need Jesus in your house. If you want to see revival in your city, it takes more than a church on fire. Revival happens in cities when homes start getting on fire. Communities start getting on fire. Your whole neighborhood could catch on fire because of you. Jesus came in the house and it was filled. People couldn't even get in the door. People couldn't tell where the crowd ended and the door started. They couldn't even see the walls. I mean, it was just packed in there. There was no, there was no walls in there that they couldn't even see. This looked like a sea of people. People couldn't tell where the crowd and the door opened. In other words, the crowd broke down barriers. Let me tell you something. When Jesus gets in a room, barriers will be broken. When Jesus gets in a room, let me tell you, when Jesus gets in a room, the room, a room that is filled with people that are after his presence more than their preference. When Jesus gets in that room, you don't care what color the person is next to you. You don't care what they smell like. You don't care how much money they make. You don't care what language they speak. You don't care if they keep singing that same chorus over and over again. Because when Jesus gets in a room full of seekers, barriers are broken. Chains come off limitations are demolished when Jesus gets in the room the word says he got in the room and because the noise through the streets people heard about this Jesus in the house and the house was filled the house was filled and Jesus gets in the middle of the crowd of that house. And the text today says, he preached the word to them. He started preaching the word. I was reading that, I thought, that's just crazy. The word became flesh. And now the word was preaching a word. Whew. You talk about a service. The word was preaching a word. Have you ever felt like Jesus just came in the room and gave you a word? I mean, Jesus is here. The word was preaching a word. He, he, he didn't even have a sermon because he was the sermon. Whoo, that's better than you acting. He didn't even have to have a sermon because he was the sermon. And that right there should do something to some of you in your spirit today. Because so often some of you are like, well, I'm not a preacher. And I can't share the gospel. Uh, I, I wasn't called to preach. But let me tell you something. Sometimes you're not called to preach with your mouth. You're called to preach with your life. God has called every person to preach with your life. 
And as people watch you walk it out, there is a noise in the street and say, what? She got saved? Then I can get saved. He did that for her? My God. Lord, I've got faith. You can do it for me because some will be able to find God because they found you. He preached the word. The word was bringing a word. Can you imagine that service? Can you imagine? Jesus is bringing the word. The house is full. There's a line of people at the door trying to get in. But as great as the service was, as pumped up as everybody else was, as excited as everyone else was that Jesus was in the house, despite all the great things that were happening on the inside of the house, there was still someone on the outside of the house. They could hear it, but they couldn't get in it. <clears throat> they, they could hear the service, but could not get in the service because their circumstance would not afford them the opportunity to get inside the room. And I want to say this to you today. Those of you watching live stream, those of you listening throughout the week, don't be hating on me. But listen, if your church is through a screen, you are missing. Now there are some of you, you are sick. You cannot, that's one thing different. But if you are able and your phone has become your church, you are missing out on a connection. You can hear it. But how many of you know there's something different in hearing it and being in it? They could hear the service but could not get in it. And the fact is that there are people all around us this morning, they are in their recliner. They're, they're out mowing their grass. They're still in the bed. Those that we come in contact with every day, they are saying these same things. I need to go to church. I need to be in church. I know I should be there. I got to get my kids back in church, but I am sick with palsy. When looking at the word, the term palsy in scripture, there's a lot of different palsies that it's talking about, but there were two main One's used in the scripture. And the first palsy that's used is palsy of paralyzation, being paralyzed. When the body cannot move, it's stuck in one position. This man could not get into the house. The house, you know, the house where the seekers were. This man that was stuck could not get into the house, you know, the house of miracles, because he was sick with palsy. He was stuck. And there are people that want to be here this morning, but they cannot get here because they are stuck. Stuck with what? Stuck with an addiction. They're stuck in their past. They are stuck in their mind. They are stuck in what somebody said about the church and now they don't like the church because mama talked about the church. Parents, watch what you say about the church. 
it could turn a generation's ear away. Stuck. They want to get there, but they are, st- they are sick with the palsy. They are stuck. They are stuck in their emotions. They are stuck in abuse. They are sick with palsy. I want to move. I want to get there, but I can't because I'm sick. I'm stuck. And the other type of palsy that's often discussed in the Bible is a palsy where overall you are fine. But there's one part of you, a limb, that you can't control. You've lost the use of it. Or it moves and you cannot control it. You couldn't control that one part of the body. You tried to get it to move, but it wouldn't move. You tried to get it to stop, but you couldn't stop it. Who is in the house this morning that overall, you know that you can be good. Overall, you can seem fine. 99% of you is good. 99% of your body feels saved and sanctified. But yet, there's one thing that is in rebellion with you. And no matter what you do, you cannot get free from it. You cannot control it. I don't want to drink it, but I keep drinking. Why? Because I'm sick with palsy. I don't want to watch that mess, but I keep watching it on my phone. Why? Because I'm sick with palsy. I'm trying my best to control it, but I can't control this one thing. Speaking to anybody this morning, there's a lot of people. I've realized this as I get older. And the more I talk to people as a pastor and the more I listen to people, there's a lot of people, they really don't hate the church. They're just sick with palsy. Mm. There's a lot of people have tons of excuses, but the problem is they're sick with a palsy. All while they're really screaming out, Is there anybody that can get me to Jesus? Is there anybody that can help me? All across this city, there are houses full of people. They're on the lake. They're on the ball field. They're at a meet somewhere. And they're really crying out, can anybody really get me to Jesus? I can't get there on my own. I'm sick with palsy. I'm stuck. I can't control it anymore. I, can, I, can, I cannot get there on my own. I'm under the weight of my past. I, I feel it. I, I'm still hurt from the, from the way I was treated. And this man with palsy is on the outside waiting to get to the inside. And he was waiting on somebody to realize This man needs Jesus. Who in your life is waiting on you to realize, I need Jesus? And the truth is, so often we come to church to be blessed. We come to church because we want to hear some good music. We come to church because we want the pastor to have a good word for us. And so often we need pastor, we need you to have a word because I hadn't been in the word all week. So you better be on fire because I'm not on fire. You better be prayed up, pastor, because I hadn't prayed since two weeks ago. 
And we come so often to be blessed. We come to, for the good music and we come for the food and we come to get a word. But when is the last time you came to church to be burdened? When is the last time you come to church saying, Lord, when I leave today, I want to feel the heaviness of lost people. When's the last time you prayed that prayer? Some people have never prayed that prayer. It's always, Lord, you know my car payment's due on Friday. Lord, you know I hadn't eaten out in two weeks. Can you give me some Chick-fil-A today, Lord? I'll do whatever. Lord, my bills are due. Lord, I'm sick. Lord, sometimes it's just asking and asking and asking for these preferences. But whenever you start getting, seeking his presence, you also get a burden. And that's why some people don't like seeking his presence because it comes with a heaviness called a burden. Because if you're just seeking for a preference, you just come and leave. Woo, that was good today. Woo, they sang my song. When they went up that octave, woo, I felt it in my spirit. I'm just going to come when they have something special. I'm only going to come when they got sausage balls. I'm only going to come. You think it's funny. I'm about to step on somebody's toes this morning, and I like it. I'm only going to come if Kevin Wallace is there. I'm only coming when Amanda Crabb's there. I see you. It's because you're after your preferences. And you're not after the presence. Because whenever you start getting after the presence, it comes with a weight. It comes with a mantle. It comes with heaviness. It comes with more than just walking in on a Sunday and walking out saying, Woo, I felt it today. I didn't mean to go all there. But when is the last time you came to church to be burdened? I come to church to get, be burdened free. Lay it down. Came to the altar, laid it down. But when's the last time you came to church so hungry and desperate? Lord, Whoever needs Jesus this week, put them, on my, put them in my path. Lord, whoever needs Jesus this week, let them walk down Avenue A around 1030 in the morning when I'm doing my little daily walk around. Lord, whoever needs Jesus, Lord, help me see them. When's the last time you left so burdened for the lost? You said, I'll do anything. When someone invites you into their problem, it's because they see you as part of their solution. You can ask Sarah. Every store we go to, somebody walks up to me and says, hey, uh, do you know where this is to me? Everywhere I go. They think I work at Walmart. They think I work at the Gap. They think I work at Public. Every, is it? Everywhere we go. I'm like, do I look 
like Walmart, y'all. Please say no. And if somebody posts a picture of me on people of Walmart, you're dead. Don't ever do it. Don't ever go to that side either. You'll never be the same. Do you ever feel like those people? One of those people who people just come and just tell you everything? You're like, not today. I'm tired. I don't care about your kids. My kids are crazy. But listen, sometimes you've got to realize that whenever someone invites you into their problem, it's because they see some solution there. There's a reason they keep coming to you. And maybe if they can get to you, they can get to Jesus. I don't know about you, but I want people to want to come to me, not because I'm the pastor, not because they think I can pray, not because they think I got some power. I got some people, they don't come to this church, but every time they got a problem, they're going to call me and pray. Why? Because they go to a Baptist church and I'm spirit-filled and they think I've got some type of supernatural power. I'm just a preacher that's got the Holy Ghost. You can have it too. But whenever people leave me, I hope they feel like they've been with Jesus too. The Bible says that four men came bringing this man to Jesus. Four men and the paralyzed man. Five people are trying to get to Jesus. Five in the scripture is the number of grace. Grace will get you to Jesus. I said grace will get you to Jesus. You got to Jesus by grace. And grace is so good because grace doesn't leave, it, leave you where it found you, but it moves you to Jesus. They got to the house by grace. They got, they, 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 they got to the door by grace. They finally get to the house, and one would think they have done everything they can. One would think that somebody would turn around and say, oh, this, man has got a, this man's got a special need. He, he, he can't even walk. Let's, 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 let's make some room for him. But no, no, nobody moved over. Nobody let this man through. But instead, somebody with a need, somebody that was trying to get to Jesus, they were met by the opposition of people. Let me tell you how Satan works. Anytime you decide, I'm getting to Jesus. Anytime you decide, I'm doing everything I can. Anytime that the enemy decides, I'm going to stop them from advancing the kingdom. He does not send something. He will send someone. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood. But he will put flesh and blood in front of you to distract you. And just when grace got them to the door, just when it appeared that grace had done its job, I believe that the guys were like, no, sorry, bro. We didn't get you this far for you not to see Jesus. So when grace took its final step, faith had to kick in. When, 
When grace couldn't go anymore, faith kicked in. Because why? We are saved by grace through faith. I don't know if you're getting this word or not. Because get this, faith finds a way. Faith will find a way where there seems to be no way. We may be blocked here, bro, but guess what? There's a roof. He said, a roof. Huh. I can get up there. Watch this. They take the man to the roof by faith. They take the man all the way up there by faith. There's no entry. There's no skylights. There's no chimney. And they kept thinking by faith. And they decide, we've got you too close, my friend, to Jesus to quit now. So we are going to tear the roof off of this thing. Desperation knows no decency. I said it last week. When you are desperate, you will do some crazy things. When you get hungry, look at your spouse. They do some crazy things. Get attitude. Talk back to you. Won't talk to you. Buy everything in the grocery store. When you get desperate, you don't care who's looking at you. When you're seeking his presence over your preference, you don't care who's in the room. I just got to get to Jesus. You don't care if your mascara is on your kneecap. You will wallow around in the altar and not give a rib what anybody says about you because you're after his presence. And they decided, I'm going to tear the roof off this thing. It wasn't easy. Ben, help me out. But they were getting him to Jesus. It required work, but they were getting him to Jesus. It required some blood, sweat, and tears. It required their time. But they said, I am getting him to Jesus. What or who are you willing to tear the roof off for? What are you willing to tear the roof off? Is there anyone in the house you are ready to tear the roof off something? There is something you're so desperate, a need. You are ready to be made. You say, Lord, I will rip the roof off this thing. I will do whatever it takes to get my coworker to Jesus. I will do whatever it takes to get my spouse to Jesus. I'll do whatever it takes to get my kids to Jesus. You raise the roof. You 90s people, you know what that means. Raising the roof. Y'all ain't holy quit. You know what I'm talking about. Y'all been in the club more than I have. Come on. We raise on the roof. Roof is on fire. Raise that roof. You raise the roof with your praise. But you raise, R-A-Z-E means to tear down with your faith. R-A-Z-E means to to tear off layer by layer, to deconstruct. You will raise it with your praise, but you tear down that thing by your faith. And the word said, they lowered him down. Can you imagine? 
They're in there listening to Jesus. And all of a sudden, here comes somebody. Can you imagine? Look at that free. What in the world? This is what my ties are going to. We just put a new roof on that thing. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. And he comes down. Lower. 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 Sometimes you got to get low to get to Jesus. Sometimes Jesus will let you get really low. And he's waiting on you. The word said, Jesus saw there. another reason you need to be in the house of the Lord because your neighbor's faith may just be the grace that gets you to Jesus your neighbor's worship may be that thing that breaks it off of you he saw their faith not just his but their faith he said, your sins are forgiven. He said, but that's not it. Right now, I'm about to use you to bring glory. I'm about to use you. You thought the streets were noised before. You thought they heard about Jesus before. He said, I'm about to use you to cause some more noise in the street. Not only are you forgiven, he said, but get up out of that bed. Take it up and go out. And the word said that he was healed. He got his bed and he walked out into the streets. And the word said that they looked at him and said, we've never seen anything like this before. I don't know about you. But when people hear about Chase, I want them to say, I've never heard anything like that before. When people hear how God's about to heal you, I want them to say, I have never heard anything like that before. When God saves 200 more people this year,